uh, by serving in the church's family. I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful to be able to call him Brother Wayne. Brother Wayne was a pastor, a youth pastor, and obviously they have the whole entire family has wonderful music talent, and we're so grateful and so blessed to have them. So Brother Wayne, come forward and share the word with us. Well, I always open up saying good morning or good evening, but I already said that. So um, it's good to be it's good to be up here and um, uh, to uh, give Jared a break. And sometimes, uh, too, it, it's it's good it, it's good for me um, if I know I'm preaching on Sunday. Uh, then I know I, I need to dig in God's Word, and it's good for me to do that. And sometimes uh, you, you'll be reading through the Bible and, and God just speaking to your heart and you've got it like it's, it's like it's welling up in you. You just want to share it. So it's an opportunity to do that also. So uh, I appreciate that. And uh, uh, if you were here last night, I apologize. I apologize because uh, it's going to be the same thing. And uh, you already know, you, you know what's coming and you still came back, which is weird. But... Uh, uh, and I, I forgot my glasses again this morning, so I apologize for that. I actually brought them, and they're laying out in the car. I don't wear glasses a lot, and I don't really, uh, I'm not a, uh, my, my vision is not terrible. But I've got astigmatism in one eye, and sometimes when I have really fine print, I struggle, and I may get through it, and then I've got a headache the rest of the day. So uh, bear with me this morning. But if you have your Bibles, and um, I, my Bible is an ESV, and I'm not um, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a, a one that says you need to use this version or that version. I just that's the version that I've got stuff scribbled down in is uh, my ESV. So that's what I'll be preaching out of this morning. So if it doesn't exactly match word for word with what you have, um, uh, it, 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 that, that's why. But Second um, Corinthians chapter three, and a few weeks ago I was reading through here. And uh, and and God was uh, just just dealing with my heart uh, over some things in Second Corinthians chapter three or Second Corinth the book of Second Corinthians Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church uh, is really an encouraging an encouraging book it's an encouraging letter and uh, in in First Corinthians they were dealing with uh, in, in part of it they they were dealing with somebody in the church who they were they they. Uh, were in sin, and they were dealing with some church discipline. And then in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, um, it seems like it may be the same person, but they're, they're dealing with some unforgiveness. A person has come to the church, and they've asked the church for forgiveness, and, and the church is struggling uh, to, to forgive them. And so uh, they're, they're, dealing, they're dealing with that. And then in chapter 3, and, and when this was written, it wasn't broken down into chapters. But in chapter 3, um, we, we have the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there are my glasses. Thank you. Thank the Lord for a wife that thanks, thanks of you. So in chapter 3, um, the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the, the work that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. 
And if you'd like to read along with us, uh, we'll read about the first uh, six verses in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is Paul. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our, our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you today. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, just to get into your word. And God, we just pray, uh, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, that you would just open your word to us today. Speak to our hearts, Lord, each, each one of us as individuals, God, that you would speak to us, Lord, the words that we need. And God, our prayer is today that, that, we, would, uh, that we would leave here encouraged by your word. Lord, these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The work of the Spirit, what the Spirit does in our hearts, is what um, I see the theme in chapter 3. And in verse number five, or verse number four, he says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. The word sufficient, and I, I use the word, I, the, the word suffice. I'll say that'll suffice. That'll, that'll suffice. That, that, that's good enough. And the actual Webster's definition is enough to meet the needs of a situation or proposed in. So you would say that is sufficient. It's, it's enough to meet the needs. And uh, I, I'm, not a hard person to, um, I'm not a hard person to please by any stretch of imagination. I'm pretty easy to, to please. My wife will, will tell you, you know, Christmas time is coming up, and what do you want for Christmas? I don't know. I don't, I don't care. I really, and I really don't, and she's the same way. You know, any, anything will suffice. You know, it don't matter. It, uh, it could be a box of, uh, of those, uh, those Queen Anne chocolate-covered cherries. That's one of my favorite things in the world. That right there is sufficient for me for a Christmas gift. I, she, she, uh, we were at Walmart last night, and I, she pulled something back in the, in the cart, and there were two boxes of Queen Anne chocolate-covered cherries. And I'm like, this is great. That's, it suffices. It's sufficient. And Paul uses this word to describe ourselves. He's talking about himself being a minister of the new covenant. In other words, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said that we have been made sufficient, not in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us because we would be bragging about ourselves and be prideful. But he said we've been made sufficient through Jesus Christ. And so you may feel like the, the least in the kingdom. Paul, I, I feel like Paul kind of had this feeling of himself he never really um in everything that that he writes he would always he said I'm, I'm the chief of sinners i'm i'm the i'm the worst of sinners he he would he would describe himself as someone in a in a desperate need of jesus listen that's what we all are 
And on over in this same, in this same book, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, he talks about, he kind of goes into a little more detail. In verse number 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. In other words, he could, if he wanted to brag on something, he could. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And he goes on down and he ends that uh, uh, verse number 10, he said, For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we may feel like the least in God's kingdom today, but when we are weak and we're depending on, on God's strength, on the strength that Jesus gives us, on the strength that the Holy Spirit gives us, when we're depending on his strength, then we're strong. So it's okay it's okay if if we may not feel like the, um, uh, the 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 biggest and the baddest in the kingdom of God. That's okay. In Hebrews uh, chapter nine, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts to make us sufficient, he said, "For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer." Sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If the, if the sacrifices of the Old Testament were good enough for that time, then how much more is the Holy Spirit of God? How much more is the work of the Spirit in our hearts to sanctify us and purify us, to make us to where uh, that, that, we can, uh, that we can serve God, that we can be ministers uh, for the gospel? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21 through 24, he said, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in, the right, in, in true righteousness and holiness. There's a supernatural work that goes on in our hearts when we become believers. And it's not anything that is done through us. It's not any, there, there's, there's, there's no work that, that we can do, but it's all a work that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about uh, one of the three parts of the Godhead. We're, we, and he's just as much God as God the Father, and God, and, and God the Son is just as much God, and, and I can't wrap my head around it. But that's why, um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm uh, walking, I'm still walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. But one of these days, we're going to be in the presence of Almighty God, and, and we'll, we'll see and we, we will we, we'll understand things we don't understand now. The, the work the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. 
I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. The work the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. The first thing, he, he convicts us, and he shows us that we need a Savior. He shows us that we need, uh, we, we are sinners before a holy God. And he convicts us and shows us that we have a need for a Savior. And the next thing he does is he regenerates us. We, we have a new birth. He gives us a new birth. And listen, that new birth cannot come through the work Anything that I can do, but it comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So when he talks about being born again, Nicodemus came to Jesus, and, and he said, uh, and Jesus said, you must be born again. There's a new birth that happens through the Holy Spirit. And then another thing that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts is we are baptized into Christ. Do you remember last Sunday, Jared preached on one baptism? And how we are baptized into Christ. And so the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts is we are baptized into Christ. And then the next thing he does is he indwells us. He lives in our hearts. And so the rest of our life, from that point forward, we, we are, are living and we're, we, we have the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and sanctifying us. And as we go through this life, and as we, as we walk along with him, we are sanctified, and he will make us more and more like Jesus. And so we have this work going on in our hearts. It's not anything that we can do. And he says here in verse 5, he says that we are sufficient, not in ourselves to claim anything coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So if you are a child of God this morning, if you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through the, the finished work of him, then you are made sufficient. You are made into a new creature. He's not taking and reforming the old creature, but the Bible says that we are a new creature in Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we hear this voice, this, these, this voice that comes by every now and then, and I ask the kids to make sure that people still say this today because when I was younger, uh, people would say, well, he's a loser. She's a loser. And I remember... Uh, that, that people would do this and they would put this L up on their head and they would just, you're a loser, you know. And we would do that joking with people and, and things. And, we, and we've still got a friend back in Tennessee. And if we see this lady to this day, she was our bank teller. And we became good friends with her and we would run into her at church. We would run into her at a funeral home. And anywhere we saw this lady, she would see us across the room and we would see her go, there's the losers. And we would do the same thing, and people are looking at us going, what in the world are these nuts doing? But that was endearing for us. But I, I remember growing up, and I remember being young, especially when you're younger, and you're worrying about what other people think, and, and somebody, somebody's going to think I'm a loser. I can't believe that I'm wearing plaid with stripes. People are going to think I'm a loser, you know. But then when you get older, you really don't care. It's warm or it's cool or whatever, and it, it's comfortable and you don't care. So that word loser, um, it, it, it kind of sticks out to me. And sometimes, to be honest with you, and, and, and if you're being honest with yourself, sometimes you have that voice that speaks to you that says you're a loser. It says that you'll never amount to anything for God. 
that says that you'll never be able to do anything in the name of Jesus, maybe because of your past or because of things that you've done, or maybe just simply because that maybe, maybe you're just not the coolest person in the, in the neighborhood or, 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 or whatever reason it might be, and that voice is telling you that you're a loser. But I'm, as, as I was studying through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I found several L words that say that we're not losers. Several L words that say that we are not losers. Matter of fact, it's complete opposite. So I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're here last night, I apologize for the cheesiness. But this message this morning is brought to you by the letter L. If you've ever watched Sesame Street, then you know where that's coming from. So there's several words that we find in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that say the opposite of loser, that we're losers. So bear with me this morning. And in verse number 1, he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And he's talking to this church. And you think this was in a time when, uh, you know, you couldn't, uh, couldn't video call. You know, you couldn't video call the church or you couldn't, We've got all these different things that, you know, they couldn't uh, do a, a Facebook Live and all these, di these uh, things where people can be in all these different locations and they can see each other. But you would write letters and then you would send the letter and you would hope the letter got there. And so he's, he's, he's telling the Corinthian church that, uh, that they are his letter of recommendation. And, uh, you know, I, in, in times past, I've had to have a letter of recommendation, whether it would be for a job uh, you know, uh, we send different letters. We, we send letters of recommendation. It, it's still, it's still a thing. And he's saying, do we commend ourselves? Uh, he says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts. He's talking about, uh, the, the work of the Holy spirit, you know, that has worked in his heart. That same spirit has worked in their hearts and that they are his letter of recommendation. And I, I'm, I'm picturing the Corinthian church here and, and reaching out in their community there in Corinth, and they're able to go and see and do things and, and be God's hand and feet in ways when Paul is not there. So in a sense, they are his letter of recommendation. He, because he has poured himself into them, then they are able to pour themselves into other folks in that community. And so... He said here that this letter is not written on stone, on tablets of stone, or not written with ink, but it's written with the Spirit of the living God on the tablets of human hearts. Our letter of recommendation. You are somebody's letter of recommendation. If you're a child of God, somebody's poured into you, somebody's preached you the gospel, somebody has witnessed to you, somebody has discipled you, you know, Somebody has, has worked with you. Somebody taught you in Sunday school. Somebody has, 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 uh, has helped you. Maybe somebody has raised you in the fear of the Lord. You know, they, but they have poured themselves into you. So, one thing, I'm going to write this on this L as we 
I had to make a new ale. So I apologize for my chicken scratch. So when you feel like a loser, you're somebody's letter of recommendation. You can be God's hands and feet. God has written on your heart. God is, 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 is working in, in you. And so when you feel like a loser and you feel like that, uh, that, that you are the least in God's kingdom, um, God is saying, you're a letter. Hearts transformed by the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, he said, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit himself bears witness in our hearts. Letter of recommendation. Verse number 4. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Talking about our sufficiency and our confidence, he said our confidence that we have is through Christ toward God. Our confidence you know, there, there are very few things in life that I can say I'm just absolutely confident in. Uh, but uh, one thing I can be sure that I'm confident in is my confidence in Christ. Psalm 34, 8, he said, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Our confidence can be in Jesus Christ. And he said over in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. My confidence is in Christ. My sufficiency is in Christ. And I, I, I've, I've got a little note written in my Bible here, and I'm, I'm just going to write things down um, just, just as a, like a devotional thought. And I wrote down little people doing little things in the name of of a big God. When I read this, I thought I'm such a little person. I'm so small in the grand scheme of the world. I'm small in the grand scheme of, of I feel like in, in God's people, in God's army, I feel like I'm very small. So I'm, I'm a little person, but I serve a big God. We're all just little people serving a big God. And I, I was thinking of when I read this, I couldn't help but think about in first Samuel chapter 16, where Samuel, God told Samuel that he was going to anoint him a king out of Jesse's sons. And so Samuel takes off and he goes to Jesse's house. He tells Jesse to bring his sons to come to the sacrifice. Jesse gathers up the sons that are there at home and he brings them to the sacrifice, and the Bible says that they purify themselves to come to the sacrifice. 
And God's going God's to pick a king out of Jesse's sons. And so, uh, so Jesse begins to bring his sons before Samuel. Samuel says, bring them to me. And so Jesse brings his sons one by one to Samuel. And I'm, I'm, I, am, I am sure that Jesse probably brought his sons in the order that he thought they would be king material. He brings Eliab to Samuel. Brings him to him. He's a, he's a, he's a good, strong-looking young man. And Samuel looks at him, and he's like, oh, this is, this is, this is, this is going to be our king. And God says, not so fast. He said, no, that's not going to be, that, that's not him. And so uh, uh, Jesse brings Abinadab and Shammah. And four other of his sons, and he brings them forth one by one before Samuel. And one by one, God says, no, 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 this is not it. All strong, good-looking, king material young men. But in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God spoke to Samuel. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. In other words, these may be big, strong, kingly, broad-shouldered young men. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, in, in Bible times, if you're looking for a king, you're looking for somebody, they're going to stand a little taller than the rest they're going to be a little more stout than the rest because you want your king when he's standing face to face with the enemy king uh you 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 want that appearance you know you want somebody that's that's going to look the part but the lord says don't look on the outward appearance as man sees because god looks on the heart and if you go back just a couple chapters in 1 Samuel, you'll find where Israel begged for a king, and God said, okay, I'll give you a king. I'll give you Saul, and Saul fit the part. He fit the look. But Saul wasn't working out, and God had removed his, his hand from Saul, and he was going to pick a new king. And so all seven of these sons come before Samuel, and Samuel is like, no, these, these are not it. Do you have any more sons, Jesse? Jesse says, I've got one. I've got, he's the youngest, but he's out in the field tending to the sheep. Jesse said, bring him here. I know how I would probably be. I would probably be thinking, boy, this is going to be good. Well, here comes Jesse, or here comes David. And the Bible says that he was ruddy. He had kind of a red complexion. But he was handsome, and he had beautiful eyes. Now, I, I can picture Samuel thinking, boy, that's exactly that. Okay, we're, we're not going to have the king with, with the broad shoulders and the, the strongest, but he's going to have beautiful eyes. When he stands before the enemy, he's gonna ha the enemy's going to look and say, he's got beautiful eyes, and he's just going to melt. I mean, just our human, how we think, 
But then if you go on a couple chapters later, you see where David stood before Goliath, the giant, and he slew him. He, he had five stones, and he took his, uh, he, he took his sling, and he, and he slung the stone, and it hit Goliath, and a big old giant Goliath, and David took him down. And it just proved what God can do through a little person that serves a big God. And so when David came and God said, that's, that's my boy, that's going to be the next king. And we know how that worked out, and he was a man after God's own heart. And David, by no stretch of the imagination, was perfect. And he, he, he sinned, and he messed up, but he was somebody who loved the Lord, and he served God. He might have been the smallest one in the family, but he served a big God. You may feel like, you may feel like a little person. But you've got to remember, we might be little, but we serve, we serve a big God. You may not feel like the most talented. You may not feel like the most educated. You may not feel like the strongest. You may not feel like the most spiritual in your church or even in your family. But you serve a big God. It's not about our strength and what we can do, but it's about the God that we serve, and he is so much bigger. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And when we serve a big God, we, we can be just the smallest person, but when we serve a big God, God can do great things in our lives. Not only are we little people serving a big God, but in verse number 6, we find that the Spirit is life-giving. He's life-giving. And it says here in verse number 6, it says, uh, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter is talking about the law and the letter of the law. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so the law says that it, it gives us all these rules and it gives us all these standards and what the law says is that we are all sinners, every one of us. It, it evens the playing field. It, it evens it out at the foot of the cross. It says that we're all sinners, and it says that the law kills. In other words, the, the law brings death because what the law says is that we're sinners and that we all deserve, we all deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But the rest of that verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So even though the law says that we're all sinners before God, the Spirit gives life. Jesus didn't come into this world to do away with the law, but he came into this world to fulfill the law. He came so that that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice for our sins could be made so that we don't have to go and, and do these rituals and things to roll our sins back for a, for a year, for a season. But now we can depend on the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is life-giving, and we can have eternal life. It says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, We are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness 
of life. That newness of life, we can walk in new life because the Spirit has breathed life into us. It's life-giving. It's a life-giving thing. And so this morning, you may just feel like just the, 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 the deadest person. But the Spirit is working in your heart. He's life-giving this morning. He's life-giving. And then it goes on to say in verse number 7, it says, Now if the ministry... Of de- the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? You see what was, uh, what was happening in, in Moses' time. It says uh, the, the glory that was on Moses' face. If you go back, to, I believe it was in... Uh, Exodus chapter 29, Moses would go into the tent of meeting and he would meet with the Lord and the Lord would commune with him and he would speak to him and give him the words to share, the commandments and the things to share with the Israelites. And so when Moses would come out of the tent of meeting, he would have this glow on his face from being in the presence of the glory of the Lord. But over time, that glory on Moses' face would fade. Over time, it would fade. And so Moses, when he would go back into the, and be in the presence of God, that glow would come back about him, and he would go back out, and then he would speak uh, to, the, to, to the Israelites, to the people, and then again that glory would start to fade off of his face. But one thing that doesn't fade is the ministry of the holy spirit in our hearts it goes on to say in verse number eight it says will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory now listen when we're a child of god we may not walk around with a physical glow on our face but somebody that's a christian there's something about them that's just different there's something about somebody who is walking in the spirit you know when you're standing you, you, you're walking into the convenience store and you just want to hand the clerk $20, but you're standing behind five people buying those lottery tickets and you've got to get to work. And now you just got $20 and you just want to hand it, but you're just patient and you're just, you're just kind. You know, that, you're, you're, you're kind of sharing the, the glory of the Lord. Or when you're in Walmart and somebody, you know, they're in bigger hurry than you and they hit you in the heels with their cart and you just kind of, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And, you know, maybe instead of, of, of biting their head, or maybe in traffic, you know, uh, these roundabouts and things, and, 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 and somebody, they don't know how to use a roundabout, and I'm still learning, and, and they, might, uh, they might tell you, say a few things out the window, and instead of saying a few things out the window to them, you just smile and go on. You know, you're, you're glowing because the Spirit is working in your life. So there's more glory. But in verse 9, he said, For if there... Was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts is not only life-giving, but it also lays waste to our condemnation. It lays waste to our condemnation. I'm going to write this down. Condemnation.
The Holy Spirit lays waste to our condemnation. You see, we're all condemned as sinners before God. But Jesus came into this world not to condemn the world. In, in John chapter 3 and verse 17, he said, But in order that the world might be saved through him. So our condemnation has been laid waste. And his righteousness has been imputed to us. It talks about the ministry of righteousness in verse 9. It's not talking about our righteousness, but it's talking about the righteousness that has been imputed to us, which is the righteousness of the Lord has been imputed to our hearts. So he's laid waste to our condemnation. And then on down in verse number 10, it says, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So, what is happening in our heart, it's, it's a permanent thing. It's lasting. So I'm going to write this down on our L. It's a lasting thing. You see, the glory that was on Moses' face in Exodus would fade. But what happens in our hearts is lasting. It's permanent. And so we, can, we, we may wake up one morning and we may just feel like, the worst person in the world, or we may feel like we just really blew it or we really messed up, but then we can, we can rely on the fact that it's lasting. And I, 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 I've shared this last night. Me, uh, me and Sarah, we, uh, there, there's things that we've been through in life where you just don't, maybe, maybe you don't feel like, you just don't feel like that, it's all that in a bag of uh, a bag of tricks. Um, you you just maybe maybe you feel like you you're not doing a good job, or maybe you feel like things are not working out the way that you thought they were going to work out. Maybe maybe you feel like that. Okay, God has led me to do this, and then it's just it just seems like it's not working out. And maybe you just don't maybe you don't feel good. Our feelings sometimes we wake up in the morning and we just don't feel good we just don't feel like the person we felt like the day before but we can't go on feelings we got to go on what we know so sometimes we're not going on we're, we've got these mountaintop uh situations where we just feel like we're on the mountaintop and everything is great and then the next day we're in the valley and we're not having that mountaintop experience but we're going on what we know and we know that what we have in our heart is lasting. We know that what the Spirit is doing is lasting, and we're going on what we know. Verse number 12, he said, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So he lifts the veil so that we can see the Lord. So that we can... I, I'm glad that the Lord does that. I'm glad that when... 
uh, when I was saved, that he, he lifted the veil, that I could see God, and I, I, could, I could understand that, that God is holy and that I'm not, and that through Jesus Christ that I can have a relationship with him. And so it's my prayer that God would lift the veil on people's hearts, that they could see their need uh, for salvation, that they could see their need for a Savior. And I think about in, in Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm just about to come to a close, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has a vision of the pre- being in the presence of the Lord. And in the year of King Uzziah, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Isaiah had this vision of being in the presence of God and seeing a holy God and who God is. And all it could do to Isaiah was bring him to the point in his life where he just said, woe is me. It's my prayer that each one of us, if we have not came to that place where we see God as a holy God and we come to the place where we say, woe is me, it's my prayer that we come to that place. And listen, I was saved years ago, but still I come to the place, sometimes it just hits me, and I come to the place, and it's just woe is me. And all I can do is just bow before a holy God and say, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. He humbled himself before God. And it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go. So he took The coals from off the altar touched his lips, and he said, your sin's been atoned for. I believe that's a vision of of Christ. I believe that's a vision of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ so that we can come before God and say, woe is me. And God say, hey, I've got a plan for that. It's my son Jesus. Died on a cross for your sins so that you could be saved. So that now we can say, here I am, Lord Send me, maybe just a little person, but Lord, you're a big God. Lord, send me. The last thing I want to share with you, in verse number 17, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Another word for freedom is liberty. If you have been set free, if you, are, uh, if you have been saved, you are set free. Not only you're set free from legalism, you're set free from religion, from trying to do things on your own, but you're also set free from sin. You're set free from the bondage of sin, and, and Jesus Christ has done that. We have been set at liberty. We've been loosened from our bondage. So I'm going to write loosened liberty. A lot of L words here. We have been set free this morning as children of God.
Isaiah 61.1 said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus came to set us free. You're here this morning and you've not been set free. It's my prayer that today would be the day that you allow the Lord to set you free. Set you free from religion. Set you free from your sin. Next time the enemy tries to tell you that you're a loser, remind him, remind him that he lost. There's another L word. Remind him that he lost. And when the enemy reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And when you think about that L, and when you feel like a loser one morning, maybe one Monday morning, think about all the L words. And there's so much more. I've preached for years on this. But think about all the things that we have going for us. If you're walking in the Spirit, let's pray. Father, we come to you today. Lord, we thank you for... Your spirit, Lord, that does a supernatural work in our hearts. God, we thank you for salvation. And God, it's only through your son, Jesus, 